Hopefully you got an outline, and if not, um, would you raise your hand uh, when we see? Did everybody, is there any group of people that needs an outline? Anybody, we can get one to you? Okay, I want to just go through this. Um, we're in this series in, in Exodus, and we're seeing how the people of Israel went from slavery in Egypt to eventually to the promised land in Israel about 1,500 years B.C., uh, so along a century and a half before, before uh, not a century and a half, a millennium and a half uh, before Jesus was born. So I want to, I want to, we didn't really stop to read the genealogy, that's in chapter 6 and at the end, but I thought I'd make a comment, um, don't want to just bypass it because it is actually important. Uh, so it, the genealogy of Moses and Aaron seems oddly tucked into the middle of the narrative. Do not underestimate the importance of biblical genealogies. We, we tend to think they're boring or not that important. So don't, don't underestimate. God has a very good reason for putting genealogies in the Bible. They say far more than we realize and lead us to Jesus. Uh, proof of that is in Matthew 1.1 is the genealogy that connects all those other genealogies in the Old Testament to Jesus. It's very important. As I always thought that if the devil was writing a book, he would never put this kind of information in there because it's, it's, you can check, fact check. You go to the Bible and you got like, well, why would someone, if it wasn't true and they're making all this up, what better way to show that it makes no contact with reality if you don't put real, real information in there? And the interesting thing is it's so many, I can't even tell you how many passages of the Bible critics and skeptics have said, that's not even true. That's made up. And the archaeologists keep finding stuff. They keep finding information and go, boop, there's that name. Boop, there's that king. There's that kingdom. There's that location. There's that group. And it's like, how many times people have um, criticized the Bible because it has uh, made up information in it. But if you're, if you're honest with yourself, if you really wanted to be a true critic, a fair critic of the Bible, you would go back and start seeing it's uncanny historical accuracy. And the more we learn, the more we keep finding this to be the case. So a genealogy serves that in many purposes, but mainly it's flag markers along the way to find your way to Jesus. We navigate our way from uh, Adam and Eve all the way to Jesus and through, the, through Abraham and Noah, Abraham, the, the patriarchs, the monarchy of David and we navigate our way all the way to Jesus or we can go from Jesus and navigate our way back and see that God made promises to a man named Abraham and he's fulfilled those promises. And so genealogies are important historical markers to sort of validate that this isn't just a made up thing like the Book of Mormon or other stories or religions based on things that aren't verifiable historically. So just keep that in mind. Another thing is that a great contest is about to occur. And I feel like, you know how um, last week was the Super Bowl? And at the Super Bowl, before the game starts, the captains from both sides come and they meet in the middle. And they're like, you know, they're kind of like, kind of strutting a little bit and come out there and it's like, yeah, I'm a captain and I'm, I'm Mahomes or I'm um, Purdy or whatever. Um, and, you know, it's, or like in a fight, have you ever seen a um, fight before the fight? And they're just like, they're, they're, they stare each other down and they're like, oh, I can't wait to tear into you and I'm going to whip you and I am superior. And so they, they come in real, real 
cocky. It's a competition. And so the judge is like, no, no, don't start fighting yet. And, and that's kind of what we have in the passage we read. It's kind of like the two sides are meeting in the middle and they're having their first little um, shouting match. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting because Moses and Aaron are like, ah, Lord, send someone else. I'm not sure. This is a mighty Pharaoh and I'm not sure he's going to listen to. So they come in kind of like going, I really don't want to be the team captain because we're facing the giant, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And Pharaoh comes in like, He's all puffed up and it's, he's in the center. They come to him, so he's surrounded by Egyptian soldiers, Egyptian um, monuments and gold and, and lavish, beautiful buildings. He's standing there representing the empire of Egypt, one of the mightiest empires the world's ever known in all of its glory. And then they're walking up with their you know, slave outfit on or whatever, their robe, and they don't have anything fancy. They don't have all, they don't have all, like showing their limits. Here's my Super Bowl rings. And they have nothing. And it feels like a very unequal face-off. But we're entering into the contest. And that's, that's what we're reading. It's like, man, this is going to be quite a contest. There's going to be 10 rounds. Okay, there's going to be 10 rounds, and God wins all 10 rounds. Satan doesn't get a single round. Pharaoh doesn't get a single round. You kind of feel what's happening in Exodus. It's a, show, it's a um, showdown. It's a competition. And God's already declared there's only one. Everyone else is a pretender to the throne. You're a pretender. Pharaoh was a pretender. Moses and Aaron weren't God. They were just representatives of God. Pharaoh actually said, well, I'm a representative of God, but I am, I am a God. There was a, a pantheon of Egyptian gods, many gods, all kinds of gods. And Pharaoh's like, and I, I run the show. I'm, I'm Pharaoh. And God's, gonna, God's basically saying, watch how easily I topple him. Watch how ten times I'm just going to, as a matter of fact, I'm going to harden his heart because I really want to go ten rounds. You realize that's what God's doing? It's like, I want to go ten rounds. I want to show my power. And I don't want to just show it for four rounds or five rounds. He says, I want to show it. My, 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 fina- my grand finale is going to be big. And it's going to cost Pharaoh more than anything. That's what it costs when you oppose God or you take up the enemy camp. You go with God or you go, you go with God or you go with Satan. And if you go with God, then God gets the glory. And if you go with Satan, sadly but true, then God gets the glory. You just don't know it. You hooked your, your wagon to the wrong motor, okay, if that's what you're doing. But this is the contest. We're into this contest, and we're going to be looking at it for three weeks. This great contest between the two great powers in the universe. And I don't think Pharaoh would have acknowledged that he was a servant of Satan, but there, there's only two, right? The Bible only presents two options. You either serve God or you serve his enemy. You either line up with God or against God. That's all there is. Some people say, well, I'm neutral. There's no neutral. Neutral is against God. It's only two options. You're either for me or against me, Jesus said. And so that's the contest that we're entering into here, okay? So, um, 10. I think it's kind of cool. There's 10. There's two examples of 10 in the book of Exodus, and they're really cool. The 10 plagues... And what's the other? 
Oh, y'all are, y'all are A students. Okay, 10 plagues and 10 commandments. And they're equally, they're both displays of the glory of God. The 10 plagues reveal God's judgment. And the 10 commandments reveals the standard for judgment. The, the moral code, the code. The, here's, what, here's what happens when you break the law of God, ten, the plagues, death, destruction. And the Ten Commandments are God's moral standards. It's like, well, here's the way you ought to live. And you go backwards and would say, well, here's what happens when you fail to meet the standard or the, the, the moral code. And so we have these two sets of ten. It's pretty, it's pretty important. I, I don't think it's an accident that God has Ten Commandments before He does that. I, I know the number ten was already registering in their minds because they would tell their kids, I, remember son, number one, remember the, the frogs, remember the um, gnats, remember, you remember the worst one, the worst plague of all is the taking of the firstborn. So I, I listed the ten plagues there. Water to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hell, locust, darkness, firstborn. The worst one was the last one, firstborn. Okay, the ten plagues were an attack from God upon the gods of Egypt. Every plague is aimed at some particular aspect of Egyptian culture and religious beliefs. God totally dismantles, he annihilates, he eviscerates the entire belief system of the pagan culture and shows himself to be the one true God. Like he, he towers, in all, he wins all ten rounds and then when the bout's over it's a knockout. At the end, he just knocks out worldly, worldly culture and worldly ideology and worldly theology, and he just he just takes it down. However, we see that even those who witness supernatural power of God can remain immovably stubborn and unwilling to surrender their hearts to God. You, you see that? You see that in the ministry of Jesus. Remember, Pharaoh says, "Well, pro- prove that you're God." Does that sound familiar? You study the life of Jesus and these people came up to Jesus and said, prove that, you're, prove that you're the Son of God. And guess what? I'll get to that later, but miracles are not sufficient to make someone believe in God. They were, these people, an entire nation of Egyptians watched all this happen. And as far as I know, I don't know anything in the Scripture that says, I don't know that they didn't, because the scripture doesn't exactly address this question, but I don't see any evidence that anyone did actually say, I am done with the gods of Egypt. I want to go with the Lord and be on the right, on the Lord's side. I don't see many people changing sides here, but here's another interesting thing. I don't see the Israelites did so well either, do you? You give them 40 years, well, actually it doesn't take them 40 years as the punishment they get, it only took them a year. Within a year, God has blessed them. They've watched these ten world-altering plagues, and there's been nothing like it. And it give them a year, and God takes them, and they're grumbling about their food. They're complaining, and they start wishing they had food from their slave years. And then they're supposed to go obey God, and they disobey God. And it's, it's a mess. It's a total mess. So the truth of the matter is there weren't many... I don't know of any Egyptians, and there weren't many Israelites. There are actually two men. 
that ended up getting to go to the promised land. Well, anyway, that's human nature. Okay, so I want you to try to imagine with me these ten plagues. And the first one is um, the Nile is turned to blood. I don't know if you've ever seen much of a map of Egypt or it's just the Nile River running down it or going the other way. It seems like backwards to me, but it runs. It's just the Nile River, everything in Egypt because it was basically a desert. And you had the Nile River just running down the middle and all the might and power of the Egyptian nation was built along the Nile River. And the mighty Nile would overflow every year and within it would overflow, it would send all these fish and all these minerals and everything out into the land and it would actually fertilize. God created a fertilization process upon which the entire Egyptian nation was structured and it was the mighty Nile River. The Nile River was their, one of their top gods. The Nile was their religion. They prayed to the Nile. They had Nile priests. They had Nile ceremonies. They looked to the Nile. They would bow to it and ask for harvest. And, and it represented everything Egypt. And it's so fascinating that God goes there first. It's first plague. And he turns water into blood. Not just a little bit of water into blood. He turns the Nile into blood. And we are, uh, I don't know, can you try to, can you try to fathom that? I mean, what if we went down to the baptism down there one time and we're getting ready to baptize people and it's all the Tuckasegee River is not just blood red, blood, just blood. You imagine us going down there to baptize and go, it's the most gross thing you could ever imagine. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to gross anybody, anybody out or anything, but this is actually pretty gross. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone bleed a lot. Um, I had a wreck on my motorcycle one time when I was young, and I, I smashed into the side of our house. I came down the hill, and my motorcycle went out from under me. I went over a wall, smashed in the house, gashed my head wide open, my dad comes home. There was no one home. My next door neighbor, thank goodness, believe this. Can you believe this? Is it not the hand of God? My next door neighbor was the ER doctor. And he was literally coming down his driveway in his convertible. And he heard the crash. He goes up his drive. He couldn't see our house. We had woods and stuff around. It was enough. It was private enough that he couldn't see me. He backs up, goes down the driveway, comes down our driveway in his fancy little convertible and finds me unconscious on the ground with a giant pool of blood. He puts me in his car, takes me to the emergency room. My, phone, my parents come home and we didn't have cell phones. My parents come home and they see a motorcycle all busted up, tread marks on the side of the house on the brick and a pool of blood. And so a, a pool of blood represents the life that gave that blood. And so when they, that's the kind of stuff that the whole river was full of. And everywhere they turned, it was blood. I, have you ever smelled something that died and like a day or two later? It's horrible stench. 
it gets, it gets bad fast. And for seven days, their source of water in life is turned to blood. It says that if they want to even have drinking water, they have to go dig deep so that that natural filtering process of, of water so to find drinkable water. They almost die and gag. Um, the Egyptians were miserable. Things started dying. Can you imagine water, your water source turning to blood? Have you ever seen a large puddle of blood? It lasted a week. It was a horrific smell. Pharaoh's magicians did their own little magic show and Pharaoh did not budge. I'm sure they did something like the red dye in water or something. Whatever it was they did, whatever it was. Maybe they took some blood and tricked and up their sleeve. I have no idea what they did. But they felt pretty good about it. Even though none of them had the ability to turn water back, blood water back into pure water. In other words, they, they might have done their little trick, whatever it was, but they didn't have any drinking water either. So their trick wasn't really that fascinating. And it was just the beginning of God's display and Pharaoh doesn't budge. Okay, then number two, frogs everywhere. I looked up this thing on frogs and I was going to get some pictures of frogs. It would have been pretty cool. There are some beautiful frogs. There really are. There's some beautiful. I think these were some ugly toads. I don't think God sent those little cute little frogs. I don't think they were going, oh, that is so cute. Can we have 50,000 more dumped in our front yard? There was frogs everywhere. I think they were some ugly toads. I'm telling you. God said, let my people go so they may serve me. They were serving Pharaoh. And he says, they will not serve you, Pharaoh. They're my people. But if you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague all, um, a plague all over your country with frogs. Frogs came up the Nile, went everywhere. The Egyptians actually had a frog god. Can you believe that? The magicians were able to lure some frogs out of the Nile. So they, they did a little bit of trickery, but nothing remotely close to what God did. Never has the world seen so many frogs in their beds, in their ovens, on their dinner table, in the baby crib, every river, lake, every well. So many frogs that the people croaked. I'm glad somebody laughed. Okay. There were dead frogs everywhere. Piles and piles of dead frogs, unbearable stench. But Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen, as the Lord said, eight more plays in God's playbook. That's just two down. Pharaoh had no idea who he was really fighting against. He really thought he was a match for God. Can you believe how arrogant that is? Can you believe if you're a Christian that you spent your non-Christian life doing the same thing? You thought you didn't need God. You realize what we're telling God when we say no to God? I don't need you, God. I better, I am a better, I'm better at running my life than you are. And we, do you realize what, how foolish it is to resist God and to oppose God and to think that you deserve the throne on your life? And God's like, okay, how long you want that? How, what do I have to do in your life? Your life, your life just unravels and is falling apart and you still refuse. No, I'll, I'll go to AA, but I won't go to Jesus. I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'll, I'll, I'll quit doing this, but I won't go to God. I'll do this, but I won't go. I'll quit fooling around, but I won't go to Jesus. I'll get my act together, but I won't go to Jesus. You realize that we're, we're no different than Pharaoh. Pharaoh had so many opportunities to turn to God. How many did you have before you did? I bet it was more than 10. I bet it was way more than 10. 
It was an everyday occurrence in your life that God was saying, see my glory in my creation and hear my gospel. And he said, no thanks, God. I'd rather hang with magicians, see what they can conjure up. Okay, then number three is miserable gnats. Um, That's Exodus 8. Just the word gnat makes you think of the irritant little creatures, how irritant they can be. Just the word gnat, is that kind of like a, it's like, it's just a nickname. Like, you just say the word gnat and you kind of like, oh, you want to swat something away, right? That's what they represent to our world. I mean, I I know they have a purpose for God, but maybe it's to get on our nerves. I don't know what their real purpose is, but it's bound to be. So just one gnat can get on your nerves. God said, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that I may become, so that they may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And God created gnats out of dust. And gnats were everywhere, in your water, in your soup, in your eyes, up your nose, on your animals, all over your baby's face. God is the creator of heaven and earth, not Pharaoh. Pharaoh cannot create anything. Pharaoh was created by God and not the reverse. And now, at, um, in round three, the magician's little bag of tricks is empty. They can't take the dust and create gnats. They haven't figured this one out. It's like, well, how can we trickery do this? How can we make it look like we've got some power too? And it's like their their game's over. We're already in round. We're only in round three, and they're they're out. And now that they're out, they have to explain it and say, well, this is the finger of God. Like the turning water to blood wasn't. Like putting frogs everywhere, bringing them and removing them wasn't. But I think their pride got in there. It's like, well, Pharaoh, you know, this, you know, we've done some pretty cool things, but this has to be the hand of God. So they're willing to concede in the power beyond themselves, but they're not willing to convert. In that way, a lot of people are. It's just like, yeah, there's a God. Oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, sure, there must be a God. Oh, yeah, will you pray for me? Uh, That's cool. You find your religion. Religion can be a good thing. But they're not willing. They're willing to concede that there must be something out there. But they're not willing to convert. And that's the goal that God wants. That's that's, that's a win for God. It's not that you acknowledge Him. It's that you surrender to Him. That's the goal. It's not that you be a believer in God. It's that you become a lover of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's the Father's goal. And that's why God's working all these miracles. He said, I want the Egyptians to know that I am God. Okay? So, um, Pharaoh's unimpressed and he did what he does every single time. Repeat, repeat, repeat. You could just, um, if you had one of those stamps... You know, they said, it just said, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Boom. All right, uh, round one at the end, stamp, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Round two, I just need to stamp. I know what he's going to do. Stamp, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Round three, stamp, Pharaoh hardened his heart. How many rounds did you do that? I did it. I did it for the first 15 years of my life. Every round, every battle, I was like, no, I'm, I'm Lord. I'm, I'm king. I'm ruling. I'm running the show. Boom. You could just count on it. And that's what it's like until we're finally broken. Till you get to your breaking point, you're, it's very predictable what you're going to do. You're, you're going to stand and try to face everything in your own strength and your own power. So he's uh, three down, seven to go. Number four, who is Lord of the Flies? 
just the Lord, our Lord. God is Lord of all things. He is Lord of the Nile, Lord of frogs, Lord of gnats, and yes, Lord of the flies. Flies and gnats are pesky and can ruin the best camping outing or picnic. Can you imagine a plague of them, like a thick dust covering the sun from shining? Do you know how yucky it is to get a fly in your mouth? How about 30 or 40? God said, let my people go that they may serve me or I will send swarms of flies on you and into your houses. But they will not be in Goshen. So now God starts in round four, he starts making a huge distinction that he maintains throughout. And so the things he works against Egypt, he doesn't, he protects, he protects um, the, the Israelites. And now they're shielded against anything else. They had to be part, they were part of it. I, it makes it sound very clear that they were part of the first three. They had to experience some of the fallout. And God says, now Pharaoh, watch this. I'm going to separate the people who are following you from me and I'm going to show you that the, the people keep following you and going with you. People go with you. They're going to go down with you. They're going to go down with you. And eventually that's where people get. Do you know early on in the Christian or the experience, people feel like, okay, I'm okay. I'm going through everything the world's going through. We're all, all in the same boat. But there comes a point in the mind where it's like, it's not the same anymore. When you choose the people of God, you may go through some of the things that, that um, the world goes through, but God's going to deliver you from, the, finally He's going to deliver you from it all. And He makes a distinction between you and others. And it might not reflect in everyday life. It may look like, well, yeah, the flies came to my house too. Yep, Christians got COVID too. Christians got this too. But in the ultimate game, the end game, God is like, but I am with you. And I hear your prayers and I love you and I'm going to give you the courage to go forward. And so God makes a distinction in whatever way he chooses to do, but he clearly makes a distinction between those who are his and those who are not. So, um, he said that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. God wants to be known in all the earth. How about that? Does God want to be known in Slovenia? Absolutely. Does he want to be known in uh, Turkey? Does he want to be known in China? Does he want to be known in everywhere? All the earth. That's what missions is about. It's because God wants to be known in all the earth. You realize that Moses was a missionary. God wants to be known in all the earth. We're missionaries. God, God wants to be known everywhere. He doesn't want to just be known in Goshen, in Silva. He wants to be known in all the earth. And that's what we're doing. We're His messengers. We want Him to be known here, so we need to live our lives in such a way that He can be known. And then He wants to be known wherever we go, and He wants to go with us because He wants to be known there too. I don't know where you're going, but He wants to be known there. He wants to be known everywhere. I don't know where you're not going. He wants to be known there too. We have to keep in mind that our God doesn't just want a little territory. He wants all of it. He's the God over all of it. So this ought to motivate us. This is so exciting that God says things like that. I want to be known everywhere. And the land was ruined by the swarm of flies. That's what will happen to your life if you, don't, if you keep resisting God. Your life will be ruined. Eventually it will be. It might be flies, frogs, alcohol, sex. Anger, resentment, jealousy, whatever it is, your life will be ruined until you give everything over to God, just like theirs was. Finally, Moses, Pharaoh bends his knee just a teeny tiny bit. He bends a little and he says, go sacrifice to God. Notice he says within the land. He's like, oh, you guys can go, but stay here. Stay close by. I, I still have to have, I still want to control you. And that's what some people do with God. It's like, Lord God, I'll serve you a little bit. I'll give you in the land as long as I can keep everything I want. 
As long as I can, like, Lord God, it'd be nice to have a salvation ticket. I, like, I want a ticket to, to heaven, but I don't want to change the way I live. I, I want a I seat in the bus, but I don't want to change my life. And that's the way God is saying, no, I want you to serve me. I want you to serve me. I want you to follow my path. Pharaoh basically says, okay, just don't go very far. Please get rid of these flies. And then Moses prayed to God and the flies were gone. Just like that. Are you at all surprised at the next statement? But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Okay, I'm just going to hit on these. See these observations on there? I'm just going to hit on these. I, I could probably turn everyone into a, everyone into a sermon. I know that scares the life out of you, but I won't. Okay, so the first thing is, how do we understand this hardening of heart? God repeatedly says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Can, can, I, can I tell you something? God doesn't need to harden your heart. It's already hard. He needs to soften your heart. The Spirit of God begins to work on you because left to yourself, there's no telling how many things you'll ruin and destroy. Left to yourself, you will go your own way. And so when the Bible says... He hardened his heart. I, I've heard it put this way. Some have said that God, that God strengthened him in his obstinacy. You just let him, it's like, it's like, no, I'm hardening your heart or I'm going to relieve you in this because I've got 10 rounds I want to go. So for the glory of God that would come from these 10 plagues, God worked things in such a way that he was going to get through 10 rounds. And he let, say, he let Pharaoh live long enough in his rebellion against God. That's kind of scary to think that God might leave you in your rebellion. I'm going to tell you something. If you feel the softening of God, you better act on it. If you feel the work of God beginning, you need to move on it. You need to move. Don't sit there and go, I ain't seen enough proof. Round nine and then round ten, he lost his most precious possession, his only son. He lost his firstborn son. What are you going to take? And then even then he wouldn't. Even then he wouldn't. And so I, I just, I want you to think about your heart. Is it hard or soft? And if you feel any softening, friend, if you feel softening, if you feel something moving, something stirring in your heart, please act on it. Please act. Don't, don't say, well, that ain't enough. Just how about saying, God, thank you for that little glimmer I want, to run, I want to chase this thing out. Run after God. Run after Him. Don't, don't put up this big wall and say, well, until I'm convinced of this, 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 and this. If the Spirit of God is beginning to work on you and just say, Lord, one more, just one more. Give me one more crumble. Give me one more piece of bread. Just one more crumb. I'm, I'm coming. I'm hungry. I'm spiritually hungry. If He gives you a, a little crumb, then take it and run with it and say, Lord God, I want another crumb. That was, that was good. Don't complain and say, I want the whole loaf or nothing. How, why, why would you do that? Why would you slap the hand that's wanting to feed you? If God is giving you something today, my friend, take it. Take it and say, Lord God, just feed me. I want more. I need you. It's hard. I'm not used to humbling myself. I'm not used to responding to you. How about just saying, God, I felt something. I felt a little something. That's better than nothing. I felt a little something stirring. And just go with it and run with it and say, Lord God, just stir more. Give me some more. I guarantee you if Herod had done that, God would have responded. He says he would to anyone. Do you know that everybody serves somebody? God didn't, you know, freedom is not the absence of um, someone over you. 
The Bible is not saying God wants you to be utterly, absolutely free to do whatever you want. Freedom in the Bible is the freedom to do God's will. Freedom from tyranny. Freedom from the tyrant. And liberty to serve the one true God. Freedom, please don't get the mis, the mis, uh, misunderstand the Bible. The Bible is not saying God wants to be, you to be free so you can do whatever you want to. That doesn't exist. Think about how little we are. We can't do everything we want to. We can't do much of anything. I don't want to die. See how that one's going to work out. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't want, I want to be rich. I don't want to pay taxes. I'm not free. Freedom from Satan. Freedom from tyranny and freedom to go to Christ and freedom to live up to everything God intended you to be. Free to be what God intended for you to be. That's what the Bible is suggesting. Okay, just so you know, the great acts of judgment are always a combination of justice and mercy. So every time God acts an act of judgment, everyone should be listening and watching and go, man, I better turn to God. There's mercy. If you, if you live through, if you don't live through, if judgment comes and you don't live through it, then that was your act of judgment from God. It's like you had time before. But everyone that lives through and the aftermath of an act of judgment is everyone should turn to the Lord. Man, look what powerful things God does. Okay. The Egyptians know who God is. All men do. And God does not hide but shouts. He shouts. The heavens declare or shout the glory of God. Okay, external miracles are insufficient to change the heart of man. Do you know that miracles are never uh, end in themselves? Do you know that? The miracles of God are never an end in themselves. The miracle of God, the external miracles, none of Jesus' acts were merely to show who he was. It was to show who he was in order that men may put their faith in God. Miracles are displays of the power of God, not so you'll be impressed with God, but so that you will humble yourself and turn to God and love God and say, I want this God. I want the miracle worker. I want him. So these people saw the miracles and they were insufficient to save them, but they were plenty sufficient to point them to the one who could save them. And this same contest is playing out right now in our world and there will only be one winner. That's enough. You can read the last two. All right. Um, how's the contest going? All right. After today, God's up 4 0. How's it going in your life? Who's winning? Who are you, who you fighting for? I just want you to think about that in this last song. I'm going to tell you, God's winning. He's winning. It doesn't always look like it. But he's winning and he will win because he gave his only son. Remember the ninth, the tenth plague? They took Pharaoh's son. Guess how we get victory? God voluntarily gave his son for us. Okay? So if you're here today and you feel the Spirit of God, just pray. I just say, pray, seek him and just say, Lord, I want more. I want to understand more. I want to understand the gospel. If, if a little light, a little ray of hope, if you're here and you don't, you don't know God and there's just a little ray of light and just go, well, maybe these things could be true, then run with that. Just begin to start there and say, Lord God, just open my eyes to the truth and it will lead you the most important truth of all. 
is that Jesus Christ volunteered to do what Pharaoh was forced to do. He gave his only son, Pharaoh did, or he had his only son taken from him because he wouldn't turn to God. And Jesus gave his only son in order that you might turn to God. Okay? We've got six more plagues. God's up, 4-0. And he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna deliver a knockout. Well, I don't know what's in your heart that would keep you from God. And maybe God's going to de- deliver that knockout today. Say, Lord, it only took four plagues. I'm ready. I'm ready to serve you. I don't need any more. I'm convinced. Then the Bible says, run to Christ. Come unto Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your glory and your power and your goodness. Thank you for these plagues. There's a lot happening in Exodus. But the main thing is your big story was playing out. You want the world to know that you are God. We believe that here at Webster Baptist Church this morning, God. We believe it. We've seen glimpses of your power and glory. But it was when the cross, when we saw on the cross the love of God poured out, that was what convinced us, God. It wasn't the frogs or the flies. It was your son on the cross. And we love you for it. You alone are God. We trust in God. In Jesus' name, amen.